0: Well, Dr. Evan O'Neill Kane was a world famous surgeon from Pennsylvania during the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Dr. Kane performed more than 4,000 surgeries during his very distinguished career. He was a chief surgeon at a hospital called Kane Summit Hospital, named after him. He was a very accomplished surgeon. Chief surgeon at at this hospital, but perhaps his greatest contribution to medicine was as a pioneer in the area of uh, local anesthesia—the use of local anesthesia. Because Dr. Kane believed that many times general anesthesia was unnecessary. He, in fact, he thought it was an, a, a risk for patients who had heart conditions or maybe allergic reactions. So he decided to prove his point by performing major surgery using nothing more than local anesthesia. So on the the day of the surgery in 1921, February 15th, 1921, his patient was prepped for surgery, and then he was taken into the operating room. And after they administered local anesthesia, then Dr. Kane opened up the patient, he clamped the blood vessels, and he proceeded to remove the patient's appendix. Then he stitched the wound. So two days later, the patient was released from the hospital. And two weeks later, the patient was back at his regular job as the chief surgeon at Kane Summit Hospital. Because the patient was none other than Dr. Kane himself, who operated on himself. And this self-surgery broke the rules. And it changed the future of operating room procedures. Because sometimes great things happen when you break the rules. And I'm not talking about breaking the laws and the rules that are in place in your life. But I am suggesting that when we step out of our limiting beliefs, and things that we tend to accept as rules in our lives that really aren't rules, we open ourselves up to the miraculous. So as we continue this series, The Grave Robber, we're going to look at one of the miracles of Jesus in which He broke the rules And he challenged a disabled man to break up his own limiting beliefs that had turned into rules in his own life. So we're going to read John 5, if you'll turn in your Bibles to John chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, uh, there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Now, before we, we get into the story and the lessons for us today, how many of you noticed? That there isn't a verse 4 in this chapter. Did you notice that? Now, some of you, if you've got an older translation of the Bible, you'll have a verse 4. If you have a newer translation, you may not have a verse 4 in this chapter. Why is that? Well, the answer is that verse 4 is actually not found in the oldest and most reliable manuscripts of the Bible. There are literally thousands of Greek manuscripts or fragments of Greek manuscripts. And the way that we arrive at, at our reliable Greek and Hebrew and even the translation into English versions is that these original texts of the Bible, uh, of the Greek New Testament, are compared with each other in a very painstakingly and com- complex uh, way to determine accuracy and authenticity. So here it, it seems that somewhere along the way, uh, a copyist and a copyist was a, a man who would just copy the scriptures just by hand. Obviously, it had to be by hand. They they would copy word per word in a very careful and, as I said, a very painstakingly way. They would copy the manuscripts, and and there were certain things that they did that would um, allow them to be very careful that they wouldn't make any mistakes. But apparently. A copyist drew a marginal note of explanation, which was not unusual, but what he did, and maybe this was unusual, that he drew this note into the actual text, rather than putting it down as a marginal uh, note or a footnote, as it were. And, uh, he, he drew it into the actual text, and so it kind of became a part of the text until the scholars began to realize This is not really in in the scriptures from the earliest scriptures. It's like it was added later. And and verse 7 begs for an explanation. Maybe that's why the copyist did this. Because verse 7 says this, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me get into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. So maybe because of that verse, he felt like, "Okay, we need to kind of explain what's going on here. Because it seems that only a few men or people were healed. Maybe only one when the water was stirred. And what what is this about the water being stirred? So this marginal note of explanation inadvertently became verse 4. And what this marginal note explains is that there were disabled people that were waiting for the moving of the waters. Because the, the legend was that from time to time, an angel would come down from heaven. He would stir the waters And then the first person in the pool after the stirring of the waters would be healed. So that was the explanation. That was a marginal note. It kind of became part of the text. And it could be that, I mean, okay, maybe that explanation is right. Maybe there really was an angel that came down and would stir the waters. It's kind of odd. Even as a child, I would hear the story. I thought, that's kind of odd that 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 would happen that way. Maybe it's right, but it's more than it's more likely that what was happening because of what they've discovered in 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 um where these pools were located and there were large pools there were two of them actually and uh large pools and they've been discovered uh they have been located and what they've discovered is that there were actually springs that fed these pools. I mean, it wasn't like they, they dug out a, a pool and they filled it and they called the company, come fill it with water. There were springs that fed into these pools and possibly the stirring of the water was caused by the springs that fed into them. Whatever the case, because this verse is missing from the earliest and most reliable manuscripts of the Bible and because it shows evidence it was added later, then the most recent translations leave it out. However, the pool worked really is not essential to the story. The fact that Jesus worked, that's essential to the story. The fact that Jesus healed this man, and in doing so, he broke some rules in this man's life, the rules that this man had. The fact that Jesus was compassionate, the fact that Jesus is all-powerful, the fact that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, those things are essential to the story. So I want to look at what happened after the miracle first, and then we'll circle back to what led up to the miracle itself. After Jesus worked this miracle, the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders were furious with Jesus because He had dared to heal on the Sabbath. And in doing so, He broke one of their many rules. Because remember, the Jewish leaders had added many rules to the law of Moses. And um, one of those rules was that, they, they, that nobody could carry anything on the Sabbath. And some of the rules were really, really silly rules. I mean, when, when you go back and read them, they they were a bunch of nonsense. And so they, they were very adamant about everybody obeying all the rules that they made up for the Sabbath. So they were angry with Jesus because he had broken one of the rules. He had, he had healed on the Sabbath and he had caused this disabled man to break one of the rules also by, by carrying his mat. Well, the problem with this rule was that it was a man-made rule. It didn't come uh, originally from God. It, it wasn't originally part of the law of Moses. They were adding all these rules. And it would appear that Jesus chose this particular day to heal this man. He could have healed this man any day of the week. Why did He choose the Sabbath? And, and I would think that He did it on purpose on the Sabbath, because everything Jesus did was deliberate He chose the Sabbath. We don't really know why, but I think we're given a clue by his interaction with the religious leaders after the miracle and in other occasions where he reminded them that he was a Lord of the Sabbath. And so our big idea today is this, that Jesus isn't limited by man-made rules and laws, nor is he limited by man-made thoughts and assumptions. And by that, I mean that he not only was dealing with the Pharisees who were angry that he he broke one of their man made rules, but he really spends more time dealing with the man uh himself, the disabled man who had his own set of limiting beliefs that created man made rules he had his own set of man made thoughts and assumptions that Jesus had to break in his life now the man made laws, like i said such a the 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 ones that prohibited anyone from carrying anything, this man from carrying his mat on the Sabbath, because that was considered work, and work was forbidden on the Sabbath. These man-made rules were not the only things that Jesus addressed in this miracle of healing. He also addressed man-made assumptions and limiting beliefs that were held by this man, and, and in doing so, he addresses the limiting beliefs that we hold even today. And, and we see evidence of this in the question that Jesus asked this man in verse 6. In verse 6, Jesus asked him this very important question. Uh, When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Now notice that this man didn't answer yes. You think after 38 years of not being able to walk, He would say, yes, I want to get well. I mean, isn't that the correct answer to the question? Do you want to get well? Yes. Remember blind Bartimaeus when he was calling out to, to Jesus on the side of the road and, and uh, after they tried to quiet him down, he wouldn't stay quiet. Finally, Jesus came to him and asked him, what do you want? He says, Lord, I want to see. I mean, he was very, very deliberate, very clear. I want to see. So this man needed to, to, to walk. That's what he wanted supposedly. But when Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? He didn't say yes. He began to explain how he couldn't get to the pool fast enough after the water was stirred and and others got there ahead of him. He began to give excuses as to why he wasn't well, but he never answered the question, do you want to get well? Why? I think it's because he had a limiting belief that created an unnecessary rule that kept him in this condition. Because this is another important truth for us today. Limiting beliefs create unnecessary rules that keep us from seeing God's power in our lives. Because Jesus isn't limited by man-made rules and laws, and He isn't limited by man-made thoughts and assumptions, but often we are. We're limited by our own thoughts and assumptions and and man-made beliefs and paradigms the question was do you want to get well the answer should have been yes but the answer was well i I want to but i can't get to there because his limited belief was that he had to get into the water his limited belief was he had to somehow get into the water ahead of the others so he could be healed and that limited his belief He couldn't even answer the question. He couldn't even imagine getting well. He couldn't couldn't picture himself getting up and walking, being whole, being well. That's why he didn't say yes when the question was asked, "Do do you want to get well? It's a simple question, but a very important one. And I think as we face different issues in our own lives, Jesus is asking us, do you want to get well? Whatever situation you might be facing, he's asking us, do you want to get well? In in the book, The Grave Robber, Mark Batterson writes about how in 2004, a group of elite medical researchers and and practitioners gathered for a conference in Rockefeller University in New York City. Rockefeller University is a very prestigious uh, institution. Uh, They lead the way in biomedical research. And the idea of this gathering, of this meeting was to get the most brilliant thinkers in the world in one room to tackle the healthcare crisis. So they got together, these very intelligent men and women, geniuses, they got together, brilliant men and women, and they came out of that conference both encouraged and discouraged. And the interesting thing is that they came out of there encouraged and discouraged for the same reason. They were encouraged because they realized that most health problems are not caused by factors beyond our control. But they were discouraged because they realized that most health, uh, health problems are not caused by factors beyond our control, and yet we choose not to control those factors. These experts, experts recognize that medical study after medical study identified five behavioral issues that cause 80% of all health problems. 80% of all health problems are caused by five behavioral issues. And those issues were drinking, smoking, stress, too much eating, and not enough exercise. It's that simple. Yet, as a society, they were saying, we don't address those issues. We know what we have to do, but we don't do those things. So, the question is, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well spiritually? Do you want to get well emotionally? Do you want to get well financially? Do you want to get well relationally? God is asking us today, Do you want to get well? Well, it would seem the answer sometimes is, well, not really. Or maybe the answer is, well, not yet, because it's too hard to change. Or I've tried and I can't do it. Or I'll always be like this. I'll never be able to change. Things will never change. I'm just dumb. I'm just stupid. I'm just stuck in this financial situation. I'll never be able to get out of this problem, this relationship. Uh, I, I'm I'm who, my, who, who I am and I can't change and this is who I am. I'm going to die this way. Well, those are limiting beliefs. And sometimes limiting beliefs limit us from receiving God's miracles. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Well, the answer might depend on, on the meaning of the word want. The word want means to have a desire, to have a desire. But Jesus is breaking the rules here, because He's letting us know that desire is not enough. Desire is not enough. Want is more than a desire lots of people want to move forward in their career lots of people want to to achieve certain things in their life. they they, they want to be able to do to to do one thing maybe in in their family or they want to be able to do something physically or in some area, the area of sports or whatever it might be the in in finances they want to reach a certain goal that's their desire but want is more than desire want is desire plus discipline it takes both desire and discipline? Do you want to get well? Do you have the desire and the discipline to do your part to position yourself for an answer to your prayer or for a miracle? Do you have the desire and the discipline? Are you past the the point of offering excuses for your condition like this man did initially when he said, basically, I don't have anybody to help me. Jesus said, do you want to get well? I don't have anybody to help me. Jesus could have said, I didn't ask you that. I asked you, do you want to get well? Well, I, before I can get there, somebody gets there ahead of me. In fact, the, the question almost seems hurtful and unkind, like adding insult to injury. Like the man could have said, well, what do you think? Do you want to get well? What do you think? I mean, I, even the question offends me. Of course I want to get well. Really? Well, do you have the discipline to go along with that desire to get well? Can you do your part to position yourself for an answer to your prayer and for a miracle? Well, what Jesus told the man next was really another way of asking him, do you want to get well? But it turned to, it ended up being a turning point in this man's life. And Jesus then said to him in verse 8, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Do you want to get well? Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Do you want to get well? Get up and do your part. Pick up your mat and start walking. Jesus was asking this man to do what he hadn't done in 38 years. And this is where the man passed the test. This is where the man turned a corner. Because the first time when Jesus said, do you want to get well? He was, he was giving an excuse. I, I can't because I can't get there fast enough. Nobody's helping me. Poor me. Nobody's helping me. I'm here all alone and I'll always be this way. But when Jesus told him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Then this man did exactly that. This is where the discipline comes in. He could have said, look at me, I can't get up. He could have said, don't you understand why I'm here? But he didn't say that. He did what he could, and Jesus worked the miracle. I don't know how it came about that he started to get up, he he started to pick up his mat, started to walk, and then realized that he was actually doing uh, what Jesus told him to do. He was actually walking. But sometimes, sometimes, You have to do what you can to see God do what you can't. Sometimes you have to do what you can to see God do what you can't. This is called faith. This is called faith. Where God asks you to do something, and instead of saying, well, I can't do that. I'll never achieve that. I'll never reach that goal. I'll never be able to do that. You say, well, God, because you said that at your word, I'm going to step out in faith and I'm going to, to do this and trust you to work the miracle. Sometimes you have to do what you can to see God do what you can't. Sometimes you've got to discipline yourself to take care of your body to see God work the miracle that you need in your body. Sometimes you got to discipline yourself to, to study and to prepare so that you can move forward in your education and your career to see God open doors of blessing for you. Before the people of Israel in the Old Testament, when they were wandering the desert, before they were able to cross the Jordan River, because God worked a great miracle and He parted the waters of the Jordan. They walked across on dry ground. That's a huge thing. Big miracle. But before they were able to do that, they had to step into the water first. The priests that were carrying the Ark of the Covenant had to step into the water first. It was only after they stepped into the water that the waters backed up and they walked across on dry land. See, we we like to say, Well, God, you open the door first, you you work the miracle first first, excuse me, work the miracle first, and then I'll go across. And then I'll obey you, then I'll believe. And God says, No. Do you want to get well? Do you have the discipline to do your part? Then you do that. Do what you can to see God do what you can't. Naaman had leprosy. And the prophet gave him the command to go dunk himself in the muddy waters of the Jordan seven times before God would heal him. At first he didn't want to do that. But eventually... Convinced by a young lady, by a maid, he went into the water and he dunked himself in the muddy waters of the Jordan, a river that he despised. He did it seven times and then God worked a miracle of healing him of leprosy. Do you want to get well? What is God asking you to do? I want to challenge you to take a step of faith. Stop making excuses. Whether you need physical healing or emotional healing or or spiritually, you you want to be healed of your sin habit. You need power over sin. Whatever it might be, do you want to get well? Take a step of faith and stop making excuses. Maybe someone needs to make a decision to follow Christ full time. Maybe your service, your following of Christ has been hit and miss and it's time to get serious about Following him. Then make that decision with no more excuses. Maybe you need to take control. Take control of your physical condition. Make choices that help not hurt your body. Whether it's, you know, eating, exercising, sleeping, taking care of your body. Take control of your finances. I mean, don't expect God to answer that prayer for you to win the lottery. Take control of your finances. It's desire plus discipline that positions you for God to answer your prayer and to work a miracle. It's time to break those limiting beliefs that create man-made rules in our lives about what we can or can't do. It's time to step out in faith and believe God. It's time to answer yes to the question, do you want to get well? Do you want to be free from that sin Habit? Do you want to be set free from that situation you find yourself in? It's time to answer yes. What is your limiting belief? What is the one thing that limits you in believing what God wants to do in your life? What is the one lie that you tell yourself? I'm too dumb. I'm too stupid. I'm a Mexican. I'm black, I'm white. What is your lie that you're telling yourself? What is your limiting belief that you have allowed to create a rule in your life that keeps you from seeing God answer your prayers and work miracles in your life? Whatever that lie is, whatever that limiting belief is, today I want you to just throw it out. Throw it out. Believe that when you do your part, when you do what you can do, God does what you can't do. And I want you to notice that I, I said that sometimes, I use that word sometimes, limiting beliefs limit us from receiving God's miracles. And the reason I use that word and I, and I chose it carefully is I prepared I thought, do I want to say sometimes? Or do I want to say limited beliefs always limit us from receiving God's miracles? And I thought, you know what? God is, God is sovereign. And there are times that God may work a miracle even though we don't have the faith, even though we have limited beliefs. That's why I said, sometimes limiting beliefs limit us from receiving God's miracles. But that's not an excuse for us to say, well, if God wants to work a miracle in my life, He can do it. No. We're still called to do our part. So what is your living in believe. I want you to throw it out today. I want you to come to God today in faith believing that whatever your need is, whatever your situation is, whatever miracle you need today, God wants to answer that prayer. God wants to work that miracle. But you've got to believe, you've got to have the desire and the discipline to position yourself to receive that miracle.